0: Hi, everyone. This is Pastor Andy. I'm going to give this teaching today in the comfort of my little home studio here that I have in my house. Uh, the reason I'm doing this is because the uh, the last teaching that I did live in this series was not able to be recorded because we put in some new sound equipment. There's a new board that we just put in, a mixer board. And so because there's there's some learning curve there, uh, we weren't able to get the uh, the last teaching recorded. Uh, so uh, I thought this was so important, uh, a, 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 such an important teaching in this series that I didn't want it to be left out. So I'm going to go ahead and teach this uh, here in the, the quiet of my little home studio, and hopefully that will suffice. Nice. Uh, I want to open the teaching today by uh, just stating that uh, the week prior, uh, we had begun talking about money matters. We began a new series by that title, Money Matters, as in matters related to money. And in that teaching, we spent quite a bit of time talking about how it's so easy to fall into the trap of making money an idol, you know, allowing that to be our, our sense of security <clears throat> rather than God alone. And recall, if you were there for that teaching, that we talked about how many people uh, who have fallen into greed and covetousness have pierced themselves with many griefs and even fallen away from the faith, according to 1 Timothy 6.10. We also talked about um, God's methods to break us out of that spirit of selfishness, and that's through a lifestyle of generosity. So we're going to elaborate on the concept of generosity in this teaching, and and wow, this is a really huge topic. I mean, it's represented all over the place in the Bible, so I had to really narrow this teaching down, um, but we'll elaborate more as the rest of the series unfolds on that topic of generosity. For this teaching, then, we're going to look at our master text in Matthew chapter 6, and I'm going to read uh, verses 19 through 21. And it says this, this is Jesus speaking. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. All right. So that's going to form the foundation of this teaching. Now, a key concept that I want to share with you as we move forward here is that uh, based upon what we just read, uh, the words of Jesus, earthly wealth is subject to loss, but wealth invested in the kingdom. Is secure forever. Wealth invested in the kingdom is secure forever. Now, I want to share a story with you about uh, my my dad. Uh, back many years ago, it was two thousand eight when the stock market had a crash, and my dad lost fifty percent of the money in his IRA, which represented tens of thousands of dollars. Well. Thankfully, my elderly dad is doing fine anyway because he's always been financially frugal and he's a tither. So he's well taken care of. But those losses he took in his IRA is a good example of how we can't put our trust in things because if our investments are in earthly things only, there's a good chance that something might sweep them away. But if we invest in the kingdom of God, nothing can sweep that away. This is why the Bible tells us to invest in things that don't wear out and aren't subject to decay theft, and loss, as Jesus said in that master text that we just read. See, there's not a safer investment in the world than investing in the kingdom. That's where your money is secure. But what does that mean in, in practical terms? Well, it means that firstly, that through your generosity, you send rewards on a head that you'll get to enjoy in heaven. Yes, some people will be rewarded more than others in heaven because they sent more rewards on ahead through their acts of generosity. And you can find that represented in Matthew 25 and other places. It all has to do with how you lived your life here on earth and how faithful we were to what God has called us to do. So we need to be living with eternity in mind, not just living for the moment. Secondly, this also means that there is a heavenly account that we draw on for our needs here and now. There's a heavenly account that we draw on for our needs here and now. See, when we're generous, there is benefits to us in this life. And I'm going to show you some of those promises as this teaching unfolds. But for now, let's remind ourselves of the very high priority that God places upon generosity. So I want to make a really important point right here that God wants us to excel in the grace of giving. And I'm going to reference here 2 Corinthians 8, 7, which says, But since you excel in everything, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the Corinthian Christians. and he, And again, he writes, But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love that we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. So once again, God wants us to excel in this grace of giving. Now, let me give you an illustration here to uh, kind of bolster this point and to enlarge on this. My son, Drew, just started his fifth year in basketball, and I I watched his development with interest because, you know, I was never terribly focused on basketball as a kid. Football was my favorite sport, so I've never known a lot about basketball. But as I've watched Drew develop, I've noticed how he has to work on several skills in order to get to the next level. And that's the nature of basketball compared to other sports. You know, in football, you basically have only one job per position. A kicker does one thing, kick. A wide receiver does one thing, catch passes. There's really only two or three positions in football where the player is required to do more than one thing. But in basketball, every player on the court has to master several skills, dribbling, passing, shooting, and shooting not from just one or two places, but all over the court, and also rebounding, defense, etc. And folks, that's like our lives in Christ. We can't just master one or two things and call it a day. We can't say, well, I've really got this prayer thing down, so I'm going to just leave it at that. No, there's other things that God wants us to develop in, and this is one of them. He wants us to excel in the grace of giving. So I want us to do a little evaluation as you're listening to this. Ask yourself this question, have you grown In this area recently, in the area of generosity, have you grown in that area recently? Or are you just on autopilot, just concerning yourself with giving a certain amount every month and feeling satisfied with that? Or are you pushing forward, endeavoring to excel in the grace of giving? Well, I want to give you one real life example of a person who did that. Uh, a man by the name of RG LaTorno who was an inventor and also the founder of Caterpillar, who uh, that Caterpillar makes the uh, heavy earth moving machinery and he was the founder of Caterpillar. And he's considered one of the one of America's greatest entrepreneurs. Well, one of the things that struck me about R.G. Latourno's life story is that he didn't set out to be rich necessarily. He simply set out to provide a service for mankind. See, he used the abilities and the ingenuity that God had given him to do something constructive and useful. And as he did that, combined with a very generous heart, God did the rest. See, R.G. Latourno was constantly pushing forward and excelling in the grace of giving. As a matter of fact, he gave away 90% of his wealth over his lifetime. He would go into these remote villages in third world countries and, and build them a, a a medical facility and a school and just leave all the heavy machinery and the heavy equipment. He would just leave it millions of dollars worth of machinery. He would just leave it for them. So he he gave away 90% of his wealth over his lifetime, and he lived like a king Off that 10%. (laughs) That 10% that was left over, he lived like a king on that, but because God blessed him so much. The, The more he gave away, the more God blessed him. He was a Christian man. And he felt that it was his duty as a Christian, as a believer, to be a blessing to the world. And that was that was what his life and his his business was based upon. So the lesson we can learn from his life is number one, are you doing something useful that benefits mankind? And number two, are you endeavoring to be more and more generous all the time? Now, in order to have the proper mindset for excelling in the grace of giving, we have to first find our satisfaction in Jesus alone, trusting him for everything and and thus learning how to be content in whatever situation you find yourself. I'm going to reference here Proverbs 23, verses 4 and 5. There's verses like this all over the Bible, but uh, I've just narrowed it down to a few of them. Proverbs 23, verses 4 and 5 says this, Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches and they are gone, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. You see, related to that, Jesus said that life does not consist in the abundance of our possessions. Now, that doesn't mean, by the way, that God is against you having nice things, as long as you're not covetous and materialistic. But the point is that if we're ever going to prosper inwardly or outwardly, we have to learn the secret of being content in all circumstances, which I know is easier said than done. But remember, it was this concept that the Apostle Paul was referring to when he famously said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He was talking about learning to be content, whether we had much or little. And realizing that that's hard to do sometimes, he then wrote, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In other words, he said, Christ can help me to do even that, to be content, even when I have little. So if we find our satisfaction in Christ, folks, if we find our self-worth in Christ, if we rely on him for our material needs, then being content in all circumstances is possible, now I can't say that I've achieved that perfectly myself yet, but I'm certainly moving in that direction. Like I know many of you are here's another scripture, Hebrews 13, six, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me now? Many people seem to be interested in learning to prosper God's way, and that's fine. But in order to position ourselves for growth in this area, we have to learn this secret first, being content with what we have and learning to use what's at our disposal now to sow into the kingdom. See, if you and I can't learn to be content and thankful with what we have now, God can't trust us with more. We can't take on the attitude, well, I'll give more when I have more. No, you won't. If you can't learn to give now with what little you might have, then why would God trust you with more? It doesn't work that way. Jesus said that if you're not faithful in little things, you won't be faithful in much. See, we can never excel in the grace of giving until we learn to be content and generous with what we have now, because we will always be listening to that little voice of mammon whispering in our ears saying, well, you better not give right now because you might not have enough money for that camper you want to buy or whatever. See, we need to take on the attitude that everything we have is available at God's disposal at any time. Folks, material possessions are so temporal, and even the things that we thought we wanted so bad often lose their appeal fairly quickly. You know, I remember a few years ago, I bought a new guitar, and it was pretty much an impulse buy. I was in the music store, and I saw it hanging on the wall, and I thought to myself, wow, that's a really beautiful guitar. And so uh, then I made the mistake of plugging it in and playing it, and I thought it sounded great, so I bought it on the spot. Uh, But then it looked great collecting dust hanging on my wall. Uh, I would have been better off to invest that money into the kingdom or the poor, so I eventually sold it. See, we buy so much stuff we don't need, but there's a better way to use our money. Well, here's one more scripture for you along this same train of uh, of thought. Ecclesiastes 5.10, which says, Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. Well, this verse along with the two prior that I just shared with you, have to do with the love or the lust of money. In other words, greed and covetousness. Again, it goes back to the God of mammon that we talked about last week. But sometimes mammon is difficult to recognize because it's very good at disguising itself. You see, mammon will try to prevent detection. It will hide itself from you if it can, and then disguise itself as something good. You know, selfishness will often attempt to disguise itself behind a facade of virtue. There was a movie back in the 1980s called Wall Street starring Michael Douglas, and one of the famous lines in that movie was, greed is good. (laughs) Well, why do some people feel that way? Well, they feel that if they can make enough money, it'll not only make all their problems go away, which of course never happens, but they also claim that they can help a lot of people. So they rationalize their greed. So what the Bible calls evil, which is greed and covetousness, yes, the Bible calls greed and covetousness evil, well, that's actually called good by the world standards because it disguises itself as something virtuous. Now one example of this deceptive nature of mammon is found in Acts chapter 5 with the story of a couple named Ananias and Sapphira and and In the first century church, uh, all the believers were sharing all their goods in common. So if there were believers that had a lot, they would share things with those that did not. So a very common practice, as recorded in the book of Acts, is that many of the believers who had wealth, they would sell some of their property, and they would bring the proceeds and set it at the feet of the apostles who would then distribute it to the poor. So there was no lack among them, and everyone was sort of on an equal plane, if you will. So this was going on in the first century church, and there was a couple named Ananias and Sapphira, and they too did the same thing. They sold some of their property, and they brought some of the proceeds, not the whole thing. They brought some of the proceeds and set it at the the feet of the apostle. But the critical mistake that they made was they wanted that gift to seem more spiritual than it actually was. So they said, here's the amount for the entire sale of the field that we sold. Uh, And that was a lie. Well, God judged them for it. If you know that story, God killed them for it because God was trying to establish his church on a foundation of holiness, on a solid foundation of holiness so that it would last, it would stand the test of time. So, in those early days of the establishment of the church, God didn't put up with very much. Um, So, uh, that was something that Ananias and Sapphira were judged harshly for. So, what God wants is integrity. With our finances, he doesn't want us to, uh, and even with our contributions, he doesn't want us to, to do it in a way that tries to make ourselves look spiritual or look good in the eyes of others. As a matter of fact, there's one scripture in the Bible that says when you're giving your contributions, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Why does it say that? Well, because we should be willing to make our contributions secretly at times so that we don't draw the attention of other people like the Pharisees tried to do to make ourselves seem more spiritual for what we're doing. Hope that makes sense. Uh, God wants us to be generous, but there's a way to do it that's not motivated by pride. That's especially true when we're giving to the poor. We don't want to you know, like If somebody can't make their rent, as an example, well, we don't want to announce that in front of the church, right, because that could be embarrassing to the person. So don't let your, let your left hand know what your right is doing. Give your contribution to that person who is in need secretly so as to not place that person in an awkward or uncomfortable or an embarrassing situation. OK, so uh, we need to be willing to make a lot of these contributions privately for those reasons. So, again, God is very, very much for generosity, but there's a way to do it. And, and again, God has a method of crushing mammon into the dust. And getting back to our primary thought process here, God has a method of, of smashing mammon through tithes, alms and special offerings. And we're going to get into those three and defining those three things in later teachings. But just for this teaching today today. Tithes is your first 10% off the top that God says is his. It belongs to him. That's a requirement. Alms to the poor is also a requirement, but we can make that amount whatever we want. And then special offerings at times uh, is also a requirement of God. He says do this, but he doesn't tell us an amount, so we can make it whatever we want. Uh, But again, I'll get into that in in future teachings when I have a chance to elaborate on them more. But for for this teaching, I just want to make this point that God's method of smashing mammon is through generosity, through these different means that he's instructed us. Now, God is trying to get us in position to handle more. So I want us to um, begin to come down home stretch in this teaching by, by saying that God doesn't intend for you and me to suffer financially, but by commanding us to give and be generous. In fact, just the opposite is true. He's trying to get us to walk in the blessing. Proverbs 11, verses 24 through 25 says, one person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. You see, God's kingdom works exactly opposite of how the world system works. The world system drives a person to work endless hours and to hoard money and to think only of oneself. But God's system works by sowing and reaping like farming. The farmer puts his seed in the ground, and after many days, he reaps a harvest. So God is wanting us to understand the same principle when it comes to our finances. See, if you sow into his kingdom and his people, you will reap in time if you do it with the right motives and in the right way. Psalm 35, 27 says, let the Lord be magnified, which hath pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. I'm going to say that again. Let the Lord be magnified, who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. Now, folks, I realize that some people don't like that kind of preaching when you use the word prosperity as it relates to the gospel. But can I let you in on a little secret? I didn't write that verse. You know, I didn't write the Bible. If you don't like that kind of preaching, you need to take it up with God. I didn't say this. In fact, that word prosperity in that verse is the Hebrew word shalom, which means well-being in every area of your life, uh, physically, relationally certainly spiritually, and yes, even financially. So if the Bible says that God wants you to do well, don't you think that I, as a minister of the gospel, and I am obligated to preach that? Don't grumble against a good promise of God, for goodness sake. Say, yes, Lord, I'll take it. And then start practicing the principles of generosity that he commands that will get you in the flow of his blessings. And I know that some people will say that there's a lot of good Christian people who are poor. So what about that? Well, yes, I know that. In fact, Jesus said, the poor you will always have with you. Now, folks, I don't know why some people are born into abject poverty in in Somalia and other places like that, and other people like you and me were born into plenty here in America. But I do know this. Jesus said, to whom much is given, much will be required. And to whom much more is given, much more will be demanded. You'll find that in Luke 12, 48. Well, do you know who Jesus was talking about when he said to whom much more is given? People like you and me. See, maybe you and I were born into prosperity and plenty, so we could be the hands and feet of Jesus to extend aid to those who are suffering. Yes, much will be required of those who have been given much, but promises like this in Proverbs 11 that I just read a moment ago are all over the place in the Bible. See, if you refresh others, like Proverbs 11 says, you also will be refreshed. And on that note, I also want to say that those who mockingly call this the prosperity gospel or whatever, well, they came too late to convince me that this isn't true because I'm living proof that God will make good on these promises. My wife, Donna, and I were so poor by American standards when we first got married that, man, we could barely pay attention, let alone pay our bills. But we were committed to tithing and giving, and God was faithful to his word. He brought us out of poverty into a good land flowing with milk and honey. Why would anyone want to deny these truths that are right there in the Bible? It's never made sense to me. Now, I didn't say that you're never going to have problems or persecutions or disappointments. You probably will. But you can walk in blessings in spite of those things. Now, I want to end on this note right here. You know, folks, God always pays his bills. He's not going to let you outgive him. He will always make good on his promise to provide for you when you invest in his kingdom. So let's remember that as we endeavor to excel in the grace of giving. So to summarize then, God wants us to find our satisfaction and our security in Him alone. And He wants us to partner with Him in extending aid and financial support to the poor and to the advancement of the gospel. And in the next teaching, I'll provide some ideas on different places to give, how to give. So stay tuned for that. So thanks so much. Appreciate you all. Love you all. I'll talk to you soon. God bless you.